Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I'm back, sort of. <laughs> um, if, for those of you that are avid uh, listeners, I haven't been on the podcast for about a month, I think. You can go back and listen to the last podcast that I recorded with Gina, where I talk about my own health issues and my healing journey. And I'm excited to say I'm like 80% better. Like some days are 90. There's still this like lingering 10 to 20% symptom stuff that's happening. But I really had to take some time off to not only mourn the one year anniversary of Tristan's death, but um, to heal myself and to be able to be a present parent for my children. And you can't do that when you feel like you're becoming disabled. And what's really interesting, and I'm going to be bringing on a lot of guests in the future to talk about these things, but there seems to be this strange epidemic of health issues that people are being bombarded with and they're going to tons of doctors and getting no answers. And it's all over. It's like these weird neurological symptoms and deterioration to lupus to, you know, there's no answers. And a lot of people are saying it's long COVID uh, symptoms. It's, or it's like after COVID they got Epstein-Barr or they got some kind of autoimmune. And so there's a bunch of people out there that are just trying to find answers. And I've been talking with some experts and I'm hoping to bring them on to shed some light on this. So if you are someone who is feeling overwhelmed and I've had tons of people messaging me, just so overwhelmed, so triggered, so scared, hold on to hope there. People are finding answers for you and I'll keep sharing as I find them too. So thank you for having me back. We have an amazing, amazing guest. Her name is Natalie Nidham. I'm going to have Gina introduce her, but we're going to be talking about peptide therapy and she's just this phenomenal brilliant woman. So Gina, will you introduce our guest today? Oh yeah. I'm really excited for this because I think that we have some really, we always have great guests here. I mean, the Gutsy Health Podcast always has really good guests, but I get really excited when we really stretch and reach when we're like learning alongside with everyone. And I think that's what we're going to have today. We are learning all about biohacking. And today we have an expert, Natalie Nidham. She's a certified holistic nutritionist and an epigenetic coach. And so we're going to talk about peptides and bioregulators and how that can trigger the body's healing mechanisms to reverse biological aging. So sometimes we talk about how to fix all these things. And today she's going to dive into the ins and outs of how we can reverse biological aging. I'm so excited for that. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that. And wow, that's um, that's quite a story, Janique's as well. I don't I don't know the details. I'm going to have to go back and listen to your podcast or get you to fill me in on the details. But uh, yeah, we're definitely living through some interesting times right now. And I think a lot of it, or there's definitely a big piece of the immune system not doing what it should be doing at all times, and what that's being triggered by, and why this is happening at this particular juncture is, I think, still remains to be explored, but definitely a lot of it between stress and all of the other external factors. And we know that it's the external world that really changes the way that our genes even express when we get into epigenetics and genetics. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And we can talk about reversing biological age for sure, but I think that when it comes to this area of peptides and bioregulator peptides, 
it's a very fascinating space of using these really interesting compounds that seem to be able to trigger the body's own mechanisms of healing. Can you explain, like, explain it to me, like in five, what are peptides? How do they work? How are they administered? Is it a pill? Is it an injection? I'm familiar with the injection type of peptides, but if for someone who this is a complete buzzword, they have no idea what we're talking about. Like, what is this thing and how did people come about discovering it? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, the actual discovery of peptides. So we have two different categories here. So I do want to start off by saying I'm not a doctor. None of this is medical advice. Like I'm going to be saying things that people are very often people kind of sit down and go, well, that's yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. Like how is that really even possible? It's phenomenal what peptide therapy does. It's, exactly. it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And it's like, how can this be so effective on the human body? Well, I think part of that answer, this can be so effective on the human body because this is not particularly foreign to the human body. What peptides are, are small proteins. So a protein, as many people know, is a chain of amino acids, right? So amino acids, think of them as like little beads. There's different colored beads. There's, I think there's 23 or 25, maybe 26 amino acids. There's the eight essential amino acids that you must get from the outside world. And then all the other ones that your body can make for itself. But these peptides are small chain amino acids. So they're generally 50 amino acids or fewer in length. So they're not particularly strings. We know that proteins are arranged in different configurations. And in those configurations, they present different binding sites, if you will, for receptors in the human body. The bioregulator peptides, which is a subcategory of peptides, if you will, bioregulators are no more than, they're only two to four amino acids long. So they are the tiniest of the tiny peptides. And And so what's super cool about the bioregulators is because they're so tiny and because of their polarity, they have the ability to cross through the cellular membrane, to cross through the nuclear membrane. And in the nuclear membrane is where your genetic material is. That's where your DNA lives. And in that space, they will bind to specific sites on the DNA and upregulate the production of proteins in your body. So it's super cool, right? And that upregulation of protein very often is associated with rejuvenating and restoring function to tissues, glands, and organs. When you say bioregulating, that's exactly what you're talking about. It is like almost changing the DNA to be better, to do healing versus aging. Is that correct? To a point, yeah. So it's it, these are epigenetic switches. You guys have probably heard about epigenetics. Epigenetics, yeah. the effect of everything outside the DNA affecting it. So your stress levels can be an epigenetic switch. The toxins you're exposed to can be an epigenetic switch. The foods that you eat, supplements, EMFs, like all everything from the outside that could affect your DNA is an epigenetic switch. The bioregulator peptides are, there's about 26 of them. They were, they've been being studied in Russia for over 40 years now, particularly by a researcher and a doctor by the name of Vladimir Kavinson. And so we now talk about the Kavinson peptides. And so that list of peptides includes a peptide for the pineal gland, which is that tiny little pine nut shaped gland in the brain that drives your circadian rhythm. It determines the release of melatonin at night, the bioregulator from the pineal gland also upregulates something called telomerase, which is the enzyme that allows to lengthen telomeres on the end of your DNA. So, I mean, 
for people who don't know what that means, I mean, and I'm I'm, say, as I'm talking, that. I'm like, okay, I got to unpack <laughs> that. I got to unpack that. And I'm like, wait a second, people don't know what that is. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, oh, you're talking my language. So. <laughs> okay, so I'll back up. So telomeres are the shoelaces on the end of your DNA. As your DNA replicates, because your DNA has to duplicate itself through your life so that, you know, it gets damaged or whatever the case may be, those shoelaces, if you will, they shorten up. Right. And so once they get to a certain shortness, not length, but once they get to short enough, the DNA can no longer replicate. And so if we can activate telomerase, which is the enzyme that allows for the lengthening of those telomeres, we can slow down that process. And so epitalon, in one of its superpowers, if you will, is to restore telomere length on DNA. Wow. Um, which is pretty cool, right? But the other thing that the pineal gland is, is it is the master endocrine regulator of your system. So very often when we talk about using the pineal bioregulator, which is called epitalon or epithalamin, depending on the nomenclature of bioregulators is enough to make anybody break into a cold sweat. Like it's, somebody once said to me, it's kind of like the Ikea of, of nomenclature, right? Because everything has like three or four different names. Nothing sounds normal. It's just like, oh, it's like a foreign language. It's like a whole new language. That's um, great. Yeah. So, but the pineal bioregulator, I often will talk about is that's my desert island bioregulator. If I was allowed to have no other bioregulator ever again, that would be the one I would pick. And then on the peptide side, there's a peptide that would be my desert island. But to get back to Okay, I think I unpacked what I was supposed to do there. To get back to peptides and bioregulators and how they are different. So to begin with the bioregulators, so this is really interesting, are naturally occurring in food. And in the bioregulators are. Yeah. So the bioregulators, and you were asking earlier, Janique, about how they're administered. The interesting thing about the bioregulators is they can be taken orally because they are so small and because they're not because they're naturally occurring in food, it's almost like the body has mechanisms to recognize certain sequences and doesn't break them down and they can pass through the gut lining. So these can be taken orally. They can also be injected subcutaneously, in which case you're now talking about a synthetic bioregulator. So this is a peptide chain that's been synthesized in a lab, right? The oral bioregulator, typically it can be synthetic, because now they're starting to create like these sublingual sprays or transdermal drops, which I'm still not fully on team transdermal drop. I'm not fully buying it just yet. <laughs> I'm sure there's good science behind it. I'm just not quite there. It's kind of stre stretching me a bit too far, but the sublingual sprays I'm all in um, and the subcutaneous injection, the oral bioregulator typically though is an extract that's been extracted from that tissue gland or organ from an animal. That has been so raised. would you say that that's better, kind of like a synthetic versus a bioidentical hormone? So it's different. And I'll tell you why. The, mm -hmm. the biological one, the oral bioregulator, think of it as you're going to get the peptide, the bioregulator, but you're also likely getting a lot of the cofactors from that tissue. Mm -hmm. And so, so typically what we say is that the oral bioregulator will take a little longer to do its thing, but the effects may be longer lasting. Gotcha. Whereas this Whereas the synthetic, because it's just, it's very specific, it's just the money shot, it's going to flip that switch much faster, but the effects may not be as long lasting. Now, in people with a lot of autoimmune conditions, 
the preference, if you will, from the Russians would be to use the synthetic one first because there's less to react to. Efficacy, yeah. Right? And it's going to give you a faster effect. So so not to get you more excited about the bioregulators, because we'll get back to the peptides in a minute, but to keep going on the bioregulators. So we have the pineal gland, which people are like, okay, cool. I didn't even know there was a pineal gland or yeah, blah, blah, blah. But there are three anchor bioregulators, which would be the pineal bioregulator for all the reasons I said earlier. Then there's the thymus bioregulator called thymogen or thymolin or thymus something else. And that one, we know our thymus gland, which is the seat really of our immune system, starts to involute as we age. So it becomes less and less effective. Well, that thymogen, that thymus bioregulator are those active proteins from the thymus gland that can help to restore function to the immune system, right? So it helps. And then next one would be the blood vessel bioregulator, because of course, if you don't have proper blood flow, if you're not addressing the vasculature, both the macro and the microvasculature, you're not getting able to get nutrients to the tissues and cells, if you will, and you're not able to clear waste products. So those would be like the three anchor bioregulators that, you know, if you could only use one, you would use a pitalon. If you could only use three, you would probably use those three, right? Because a pitalon also has receptors on the thymus gland. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of crossover. Moving on from that, we then have bioregulators for the liver, for the pancreas, for the lungs, for the stomach, for the muscles, for the bone marrow, for I mean, eyes. For- so when you say that, so it's a bioregulator, meaning that it would improve the health of that specific area, right? So it you're would- saying a bioregulator for the liver. It's, it's like a very specific peptide for the liver. Is yeah. that correct? Correct. And the adrenal glands and the thyroid gland and the ovaries and the testes and the prostate. So there's, so you can see how really specific uh, kidneys as well. So what's really interesting about the bioregulators, and I think one of the reasons why they're becoming like more and more people are being introduced to them and so curious about them is there's kind of like a safety valve that's built in, in that what the bioregulator seeks to do is restore balance to the body. So you can use the thyroid bioregulator for someone who is hypothyroid or hyperthyroid. It's going to try to bring balance back to the thyroid. It's not going to push you over or under. So how is this different? If you don't mind me asking, uh, there's a company called Standard Process where, and it could be completely different. They have like, if you have adrenal like dysfunction, they have a product called Dranamin that actually has adrenal like desiccated. Like the glandulars. Like when you have thyroid, like a thyroid restoration program requires a lot of thymus gland product that you're taking multiple times a day. Is this similar to what you're talking about or is it different? I think so. No, I think so. I think that, and I mean, as long as they're not destroying, like, so I don't know the exact process from what I've heard, the word hellacious was used (laughs) and how they, the process they use to extract the peptides. My sense is that both those types of products, whether it's desiccated thyroid, desiccated thymus, the glandulars for the adrenals that people take sometimes, they will have bioregulator in there. So can I share a fun story? Yes, because this is so interesting. I shared this on my stories like three years ago, um, where Native American Indian cultures, when the women were infertile, uh, they would feed them the ovaries of bears. Yeah. Fertility. 
Yeah. So that's how like standard process kind of came out with these products, like over their products have like ovaries in it and has thymus in it. Like it has pituitary gland in it to help regulate those organs. So this is what you're talking about, but there could be different extraction processes or, you know, different ways of producing these peptides. But this, like, this is so fascinating because I didn't realize that this, what we were doing in these products was actually a form of peptide therapy. So I believe it is. My mind is just like, I'm just like so giddy right now. My nerdy (laughs) brain is so lit up. Yeah. And you know what, taking it a step further, I think even when you look at the desiccated organ, the dried organ supplements, like heart and soil or ancestral supplements, like these guys that are selling all these supplements, Again, you're, if you go on their website, like there are testimonials of people who had transformative experiences, right? And so most likely in part, it's they're getting some of the bioregulator plus they're getting the cofactors to feed the organ. I mean, what you describe in native culture, I mean, in, an, in all kinds of ancestral cultures, we hear about this, people with heart conditions being fed heart, Right. I mean, heart is delicious as a food if you can get over the fact that it's a heart, which I mean, as I say to people, look, you eat butt, why wouldn't you eat heart? Like right. Right. <laughs> it's just another muscle. <laughs> so true. So this could be really useful for anyone with thyroid issues, hormone imbalances, as long as they have the right guidance on how to use it. Right. Are there good, better, best sources for these? Like oh, are they less quality? Yeah, so definitely, you know, and I will say that in the whole peptide spectrum, whether you're using the alphabet soup on this side, which is BPC-157, thymosin beta-4, thymosin alpha-1, so alphabet soups over there, or IKEA, glandocort, stomacort, you know, epithalamin, like all these other names, where you're getting your product has everything to do with how safe they are, right? Wow. You don't want, like, you just don't want to be, like, these are blind items. Right. And so there's when I first was introduced to peptides, there was a lot of talk about how people had bought random vials of peptides online for like next to nothing. They went and had them tested. Either what was in there wasn't what was supposed to be in there or there wasn't a lot of what there wasn't the right amount or there were a lot of impurities. So you definitely need to do your due diligence and be smart about sourcing this stuff. That's true for every industry though. Too. Supplements, supplements do. And like, yeah. Supplements, like they test supplements randomly and half of it is just filler, right? Absolutely. So that's why it's just like, oh, we have to be really mindful of our sourcing. You can't just go to Walmart and get a supplement, right? right? You can't just go to Costco and get a supplement, right? Quality is everything. I'm just kind of getting caught up here, Natalie. Do you have a company that you recommend? Have you started a company? Because with some of the peptides that I'm familiar with, I'm like, tell me all the things. I want to talk to you after this. I was talking with a friend actually driving here to this recording. And I'm very familiar with her case. She has an extreme case of yeast infection that I even tried to help her with. And like all the things I was throwing in it wasn't working. And I'm good at gut stuff, right? I'm good at it. And so she started a peptide therapy. It was LL37 with low dose naltrexone and that like kicked the yeast and like that. Yeah. And I'm like, but you have to get a prescription. So what's over the counter? What's prescription? Like as people are trying to navigate this world and they're like, I need this in my life. Who do I talk to? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good question. And it's the answer is evolving, right? So on the bioregulator front for the oral bioregulators, they're classified as nutritional supplements because they're essentially food. 
right? So, I mean, I get my bioregulators from a company in the UK, which is, and all this stuff is going to be on my website, natnidham.com. And there's, they, and I've done a couple of interviews with the owner of that company. And what they've done is they've taken all the nasty nomenclature out and they've created a new brand called Nature's Marvels, which says pineal peptide, blood vessel peptide, kidney. Like, you know, it's really pretty- Really nice. And it's the exact same product as the Russian one. Just it's taken away all the scary Russian writing. So when the people at the border open it up, they don't get freaked out. And they've made it super clear for the consumer what you're getting. When it comes to the injectables is where it starts to get, we start to get into a very gray zone. And I will tell you that there's, I think there's a lot of controversy and trouble brewing in the industry right now. I just found out this morning that Instagram declared that hashtag peptide is no longer going to be supported by them because it contravenes their community standards or something about their, I don't know if it offends some of their members. Like there's a bit of a war kind of brewing, right? LL37 as a peptide. It's like a turf war. Like we don't want, like it's pharmaceutical companies versus. So what's happening is pharmaceutical companies against things that work. Like that's well, can, can I also well, can I also just throw in this question too, with it being so new and like you saying quality is so important, is there a huge risk with hashtag peptides becoming the next latest and greatest thing? And now you all of a sudden you have people injecting themselves with who knows what? Like, is that also a fair? Of course concern? it's possible. And right now, peptide <laughs> therapies are living in the purview of your very kind of cutting edge functional medicine or integrative medicine medical doctor. Or it's living in the world of the end of one biohacker, right? So I have a Facebook community that's going to probably cross 12,000 people this weekend of all those people. And they have, and these are people, you know, have, who've decided they've either been failed by the medical system or they have decided to become the CEO of their own body and their health. They're taking matters into their own hands. They're getting guidance wherever they can. Like I do my best to try and give people a grounding and a base of knowledge from which they can go forward from, but they're taking this on. And they're so they're sourcing their peptides from a couple of different research labs that are very high quality that we trust. And then there's also other companies that are now starting to move into the world of starting to try and make these peptides available orally. So on the side of the bigger peptides, like the alphabet soup, the BPC-157, thymus and beta-4, when we get into these bigger proteins, for the most part, it's challenging to take them orally because your gut is going to treat it like any other protein. The acid is going to go at it and you're going to break them down and digest them. The One of the ones that gets a buy is BPC-157, which is what I call the Swiss army knife of peptides, if you will, because it has so many wide ranging benefits in the body. It's a superstar for the gut. It's great for the brain. It's amazing for musculoskeletal healing. It's part of what we would call the Wolverine stack to help people to recover and heal from injuries. And it's kind of like, it kind of gets carte blanche in the system. Like it can be taken orally. It can be used subcutaneously. It can be used as an intranasal spray in some cases. Like it's, it could even be used topically. Like I recently had a small surgical procedure. I was like putting the peptide on the open wound to help it to to heal faster. So, but a lot of the other ones you can't take orally. The LL37 that you were talking about, you know, what's cool about that, what a lot of people don't know is it's actually a downstream metabolite of vitamin D3 metabolism in our bodies. And so one of the things I think that is so fascinating about peptides 
is that the body, you have receptors for them. And I don't want to say the body recognizes them because it feels like I'm saying that, you know, there's a little guy in an office somewhere going, oh, I know you. Right. But in a way, it's kind of like that, right? There are receptors for BPC-157 in your body. There are receptors for LL37, for thymus and beta-4. So it's just, they're not coming in and hijacking a process they're triggering a cascade that is native to the system. Yeah, I love that. So I want to rewind because you said you have this Facebook group. People are talking about places that they can get this online. Are they getting the injectables online? Like, or are they, oh, so I actually know of a website, but I don't know if it's a good website. So I like, so I kind of want to, I want to follow you around, Natalie, and like learn (laughs) from you. Like, I want to become an expert. I want to be the CEO of my own body with peptide therapy. How do I do that? How do I join your Facebook group? Do you have courses online? How do people get, I mean, let's keep talking about this on the podcast, right? But I'm like so excited about this, right? Because it's like, I've known about this and I've known that it's worked, but I haven't been able to find good sources of people to really deep dive into this work, right? It's just like peptide therapy, it works. And what else, right? Like you feel like the expert to me in this. And so if people want to follow you around like a little minion, (laughs) Like I do. One, can you list those websites online? Or is that something that we have to join your Facebook group with? Two, where are these classes that we can learn from you if they exist? Like, tell us all the things. Give us all the tips. So the group is called Optimizing Superhuman Performance. And I I would say that if you're going to join the group, make sure that you also give me your email for the newsletter, because I believe that there's as That Instagram thing with hashtag peptides, it's a big red flag. And my group as it is, I think right now is getting most of its new members from my podcast because Facebook quite a while ago, just cut down the flow of people coming in, right? So they make you less visible. So we have a, I would say we're living in Facebook's house at their, their you know, it's their rules. We're in their house. It's their rules. So I don't have any illusions of the fact that this group could be closed at any minute. So there is there. One of the things I'm working on is a course, which I've been so buried and swamped over the last year or so that I haven't been able to get myself to do it. But I'm determined that this year I'm going to release and I want to call it a course, but I want to call it really as it's a resource guide. I want to give people the information to allow them to become educated enough to now go from there and take on their journey, right? The tricky thing about peptides is there's a huge degree of art to the science. So I can't, it's not like a drug where it's like um, 25 milligrams twice a day. This is what you take, right? With the peptides, it depends. And one thing I want to really communicate to people here is peptides are very powerful. And even the bioregulators are super powerful. They're very effective. But if you're not doing the work, if you're not also managing your stress, if you're not taking care of your sleep, if you're not eating the right diet, if you're not sometimes like you need low dose naltrexone, you may need an antibiotic for a short period of time. You may need to, our best case scenario here is to take the best of medicine and the best of all this other stuff and bring them together in an appropriate way so that we stop thinking that it's one way or the other. And actually, the practitioners who I know who are the most powerful in this space are trained medical doctors who somehow medical school didn't crush their souls, didn't rob them of their curiosity and open mind. And they're taking in all this new information and saying, how do we bring these two together and finding that, wow, maybe we don't need as many medications. Maybe we can 
you know, bring blood. We already know we can correct high blood pressure in many, not all cases, but in many cases through diet and lifestyle and exercise. Well, if we also have, for example, a bioregulator peptide, that's going to help to recondition the blood vessels and the heart and the kidneys, because these are all part of that system and maybe even the brain. Wow. Maybe we don't need as much medication. Maybe we can eventually release the medication, but if you're going to be working to get off medication, you absolutely have to have someone with you who's going to help you to manage that process. I think that is so, that's such good advice and wisdom because when we just rely on a therapy, but we're not doing the work in other places, like one that's lazy healing and two, the body, the body's almost like, you can't trick me, do the work. So kind of going back to all the Facebook stuff that that censorship is actually so real. I'll give an example, like on my Instagram, it was growing, growing, growing. My story views were reaching 15, 20,000 and literally overnight, boom, it went down to like two to 5,000 overnight. Whenever I talk about my family, my kids, my personal life, I have like 10 to 20,000 views. Whenever I'm talking about health, it's closer to five. Wow. Every single time it's like clockwork, right? I know as soon as I post about my kids, 10, 15, 18,000 views. As soon as I start posting about gut health, supplements, nutrition, self-empowerment, it's like five. And I'm like, how do they know? Like, how do they know? Right. So censorship is very, very real, but I want to go back to like doing the work. Right. So I've been talking about, I've been very open about my health ailments lately and all these neurological like declines that I've been having. And the thing is like, I don't want to say I'm an expert. I'm not a doctor or anything, but I'm an expert in self-healing. Yeah. So I, so I sat myself down. I'm like, I was coaching myself. What would I do? And I put a program together. I did ketamine therapy and meditation and like mental healing. I did hyperbaric. I did nutrition. I did some supplementation. You know, I did cryotherapy. I did all of these things together and I started seeing an improvement in about two to three weeks. Right. I've had people message me and say, well, my friend did hyperbaric and it didn't work. Right. And I'm like, well, we can't just rely on one thing. Are you doing the mental health healing? Are you doing, because like trauma and PTSD and that cortisol spike will literally put your immune system in a frenzy. Right. And so if you are highly stressed and doing hyperbaric, hyperbaric is just like slowing down the momentum of your inflammation. It's not reversing the inflammation and, you know, all the decay in your body. And so as you're saying with the peptides, it's not this like miracle cure. Right. It's like you have to be doing all the other things at the same time. Are you taking this holistic, conscious approach and mm-hmm. applying it all? So so I love that you said, let's not just rely on peptides. Right. Let's do everything. Otherwise, We'll get a bench. Well, people can say whatever they want, but you know, they're like, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, it does. It doesn't. No, but it doesn't. You do. You do. Right. You, you create the environment in which it can. Right. Even stem cells. Right. So stem cells are really amazing. Stem cells are super powerful. But if you pump stem cells into a very inflamed body, Mm -hmm. you can basically you're burning them up like it's not going to take. Right. So Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about the peptides is they can help to they can help you along the way. So you don't have to have done all the work. Like BPC-157 for gut healing is pretty amazing. And sometimes it's enough to help someone feel a little bit better so that they have more energy to do the work or they have, they can see a glimmer of hope where they've been like spinning their wheels for so long. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, wait, I actually think I feel a little bit better. And so it gives them that encouragement and that strength, if you will, or your friend with the LL37, like LL37 is an incredibly powerful antimicrobial. 
The problem with it is if you don't know what you're doing and you go at it too hard and heavy, you're going to have a Herx reaction like nobody's Mm -hmm. business. And I've seen that. So you got to, there's a degree of respect. There's a degree of education. And I just hope, you know, that the tricky thing is going back to the, the issues with pharma companies is that they're not going to really deeply study anything they can't patent. And so what we're starting to see happen is, you know, thymus and alpha one, which is a very powerful immune balancing peptide. It's approved for use in over 30 countries around the world. It was given orphan drug status here in the States. There are clinical trials. If you go to PubMed, which is that repository of all the clinical trials that us nerdy people go to and other people think, what are you doing there? Um, (laughs) You will find studies of, you will see clinical trials where they've been using thymus and alpha-1 in hospital settings for people who are dying of COVID and seeing success. They've done like thymus and alpha one is an incredibly get this. So here's the thing. So it used to be that you could get it from compounding pharmacies through a doctor. Well, they've now, you know, the FDA has decided, no, 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 this is now you can no longer make it in a compounding pharmacy. There is a drug company that makes it, but I don't know what the story is with getting your hands on the drug, but I think because it's only orphan drug status, maybe it doesn't have broad availability and it's become, it's just like, it's tragic because you have a lot of these doctors who've been using it in their practice where it's been life-changing for their patients, particularly people with autoimmune disease and stuff like that. And it's becoming much harder to get, right? Wow. So it's some of the most powerful weight loss medications right now are peptides. Right. But what happened, and you know, in this case, you have a drug company that said, okay, we have a, we have a GLP-1 agonist. So GLP-1 is a protein that your body produces when you eat food, but it's there for like 20 seconds, right? That would be like Ozempic, right? Isn't Ozempic? That is Ozempic. That's exactly Ozempic. The peptide's called semaglutide. And right, what, right. what they did is they took this peptide that has a half-life of like seconds and created and modified it so that it now has a half-life of four days. Wow. But now it's this incredibly powerful product that not only helps people to drop weight, but it helps to increase this resting metabolic rate. It improves your release of insulin in response to glucose. It improves insulin sensitivity. It optimizes the uptake of glucose by skeletal muscle cells. It's good for the heart. It has benefits for the lungs. It has benefits for the brain. Because you can imagine if your glucose disposal gets better, then they're studying it for Alzheimer's. Like it's got all these incredible benefits, but it's like, I don't know, what is it? Like 1800 bucks a month or something? Like it's wildly expensive to get your hands on it. This yeah. is the stuff they should be putting in water, not fluoride. Seriously. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Think about it. I mean, I'm exaggerating. Not everybody needs Ozempic and it has, right, right. and it has its dark side, right? So, you know, just on the Ozempic thing, as we're talking about it, one of the things that it does is it is a very powerful appetite suppressant and it also slows gastric emptying. So it both acts on the brain center that turns off, that increases satiety, but it also physically slows down the emptying of your stomach as you eat. So it's going to make you feel fuller, faster, longer. So the dark side of that is for people who are not watching what they eat is now they become nutrient deficient. Yes. Right? Mm. They're like, oh, I can eat pasta. I can't eat a lot of it, but I can eat pasta and I'm not going to get fat. But no the bad news, exactly. The bad news is six months later, you're losing your hair and you don't know why. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 
So you have to be smart, right? And respectful, respectful of the body, respectful of the science, right? Like you have to, like, I thank you for keep saying that because that's really, really remarkable. Keep going. I'm sorry. That's okay. Anyway, so that was just an example of, and there's a newer one that's just come out called Terzepatide, which only got approved, I think in May. So I'll probably put out a podcast on it in the next few months, but I'm waiting for, to have a doctor who's had enough clinical experience with it so that he can speak to it because we can read what the drug company says when they release these things, what we want to see is what happens in real life. Like I can tell you with semaglutide, which is Ozempic, some people get super nauseous and can't tolerate it. I can tell you that some people, it doesn't work for them. And why? Because maybe because they're too leptin resistant. There's also certain genes that give you a predisposition to responding better to semaglutide than others. I mean, there's all these little nuggets of information we're only really going to learn as people are using it in real time. Yeah. And when you stop using it, by the way, your insulin resistance hasn't changed that much. Yeah. Yeah. I have a client fix, it doesn't Zana. fix anything. Yeah. I have a client who's been doing the semi-glutide, the Ozempec for a while. And she's like, it does work. I don't have an appetite, but she's younger. And she's like, now I don't trust myself. I don't trust my own hunger mm-hmm. because I feel like I need to be on this forever. Cause as soon as I stop taking it, I just don't even trust the hunger signals of what's going on in my body anymore. So she's like, I kind of feel, I'm afraid I might, you know, even though it is a peptide, she's like, I am a little bit afraid that I don't know if it's the right thing for me or not, but it does work. Yeah. You, so my, I think that the answer to that is take this opportunity while you have this drug at your disposal, take this opportunity to form better habits Take this opportunity to get into working out, to get into a, develop a better relationship with food, develop a better eating plan, work on your microbiome, like do all those things so that when you come off, yeah, your appetite's coming back big time. Like, I mean, I've been to that movie. All right. Personally. So your appetite will come back. And so the beauty and the not beauty of it is that when you're taking Ozempic, you have the wiggle room to have a donut, to have some pasta, to do the things because you're like, wow, I've just lost all this weight. I can still have a donut. I mean, that's all I might eat for this meal, but I can have a donut. So now you've suddenly gone down this slippery slope of re-going back to old habits that were crappy, that you fought for the longest time while you were trying to lose weight. You come off the semaglut, the Ozempic, and if you haven't really adopted a better diet and you've fallen back into bad habits and you're eating Twizzlers for breakfast and donuts for lunch, the pounds are going to come crashing back through the door. So I think the important thing with Ozempic is to have coaching at the same time so that you really work on the lifestyle, the relationship, the exercise, the food, the stress. If you have trauma in your background, like all of these things have to be dealt with so that you come out, it's almost like it gives you breathing space where you don't have the hunger and like, you're not fighting so many fires on so many fronts, but you've got to use the time in that respite wisely so that when you come out of it, you still keep many of the benefits. I have a few questions about some other disorders that are fairly common, especially with what I see. Um, so autoimmune, like all this long COVID stuff, that thymus one would be really helpful for people for autoimmune for lupus, for MS, like what peptides would be really good for that other than that thymus one? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to go back and say I'm not a doctor. I don't really dig into a lot of the disease states, but I can tell you one of the great things like you guys is because I have a podcast, I get to interview a lot of these doctors and have these conversations. What is it? Oh, it's called Biohacking Superhuman Performance. Okay. Perfect. I came up with it in a minute. Now I'm like, boy, could you have used fewer letters maybe? (laughs) I love it. It's like the the whole alphabet's in there. Anyway, well, no, there's no Z. So, um, (laughs) So I recently was having conversations with a doctor who was saying, you know, one of the peptides we're finding is really, really amazing for long COVID is thymosin beta-4. So it's a thymus peptide, but it's very powerful anti-inflammatory for the brain. Mm. And one of the things that I think is being identified as a long COVID issue is inflammation. Yes. Inflammation in the brain, right? In the brain. Like I feel it in my brainstem. Like I can feel like my head feels hot and my yeah. brain feels inflamed. And it's like the only way I can just describe it is like, it feels like there's a balloon inflating in my skull and like the back of my neck just feels hot all the time. And I can feel when it's activated and then my symptoms are worse, but it's like this chronic inflammatory response. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, it was immediately after COVID. A lot of people are saying it was, is, this is happening months after COVID. Right. And so yeah. it's just, it's, it's a crazy bug. Right. So anyway, so thymus and beta four seems to be one of these tools that is emerging as a very powerful tool with long COVID with multiple sclerosis. Definitely. Again, I will tell you between BPC-157 and thymus and beta four, you can almost, I've seen them applied in almost every situation, but sometimes at crazy high doses. Like one of the guys I knew, he passed away last year, who was actually treating people with ALS and with MS, like some of the most crazy conditions that nobody can get a handle on. I mean, the dosing that he was using would make most people's hair fall out. But the crazy thing about these peptides is there's no lethal dose. The problem is that we don't know what is the downstream effect? But when you're dealing with someone who's got a degenerative condition where there's no, there, they have one destination here, right? So especially with ALS, like he was finding his pay, the people he was working with, he was slowing the progression. In some cases, he was stopping it. Wow. That's They're like, mean. I don't care what's going to happen in 10 years, but Seriously. I will tell you that for most of us, we got to be careful. Like people say to me, well, how many peptides are you using? And I'm like, at this very minute, none, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm using bioregulators because I'm part of a clinical trial on reversing biological age. I'm pounding like eight, nine bioregulators a month, every month I'm cycling through them, but I don't just use peptides for the hell of it. Like there's, you know, there's mitochondrial peptides, that's amazing, right? Peptides that can upregulate the, the function of mitochondria. Well, one of them is banned in sports because it's so effective at improving the performance of, of skeletal muscle. Yeah, like MOTC. But the problem is that, you know, there's a lot we don't know about mitochondria. And so I'm like, you know, if I needed it and I knew I had mitochondrial dysfunction, I mean, yeah, I would be leaning into the red light, the near infrared light. I'd be looking at deuterium depleted water and molecular hydrogen and uh, you know, all of the different things we know can maybe even PMF, I would probably look at the peptides, but I'm, but I would want to be working with someone who's worked with them because mitochondria are the magic of our body. Yeah. And there's a lot we don't know, right? You read about these peptides they are like, yeah, well, so this is what seems to happen. We don't exactly know how. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the name and of the game know, of mitochondria. And we don't know if we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Exactly. Right? Down the line, exactly. Right? Like years down the line, what is the side effect? Um, yeah. 
Okay. So there's two more conditions I want to ask about because I have a lot of clients that are diagnosed with ED. So Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, so connective tissue disorders yeah. and then cancers could not peptide therapy be used for cancer and turning off genes and slowing so, cancers down. So here's what I, I'll tell you that I know. Definitely there are peptides that are being researched for cancer, specific mm-hmm. ones. The bioregulators are really interesting in the cancer space because, for example, I know that I've read literature about Epidolon and Dilon, which is another immune bioregulator, and both of them seem to have a lot of benefits for, actually, they did some trials on mice and with HER2, the HER2 cancer gene, and mm-hmm. there's they saw fewer tumors and they saw the tumors that did come were smaller. So there's evidence, I'm going to say evidence, like there's evidence that they're really helpful. There's also certain bioregulators that are used in Russia clinically after Mm -hmm. cancer treatment to help to restore the immune system, right? We're hitting it so hard. We're destroying it. Person's sitting duck for the next thing. What if we can help to rebuild, right? And there are very specific peptides that are being investigated for to address certain cancers. And what's cool about them is they're specific, right? Mm -hmm. Specificity is a beautiful thing when you're talking about cancer. When it comes to EDS, I've definitely seen people in the group with EDS moving through peptides like BPC-157. There's another one called GHK, which is a really interesting peptide. It's only three amino acids long. Mm -hmm. It's like most people will have heard of it as the copper peptide. It has really amazing benefits for skin when it's applied topically, but GHK actually came under the scrutiny of a university in the States. I want to say maybe Stanford. Anyway, they figured out that this three amino acid chain runs up and down the genome and flips hundreds of genes. Wow. Like it flips them on in the right direction. So it seems to be all positive and it's very powerful for wound healing. It's very powerful for tissue integrity. It's very, so Mm. EDS people will often sometimes try GHK. I will say that EDS is, as you probably know better than me, is a spectrum. It it depends, right? So sometimes the BPC-157, because it helps with collagen and it helps with tissue integrity, BPC-157 can be helpful. Thymus and beta-4 can be helpful. GHK may be helpful. GHK-CU with the copper is bright blue. And that's generally what's used topically. I've seen, as a matter of fact, I spoke to a woman got to be at least a year ago now, who was in a group of people with EDS who were doing large doses of GHK with the copper that they were injecting. They had really good results for a short, for a period of time. And now what happened on the other side of that is they started to develop copper toxicity Mm -hmm. because you're just pouring copper into the body. So if you're going to do that, then you've got to be testing. You got to be doing the ceruloplasmin test and testing your zinc to copper ratio. And maybe you need to balance with zinc. If you have copper in your body, you don't need to inject more copper. The GHK and the copper will come together and it'll activate GHK. But again, when you're going in a high dose, when you're therapeutically treating a disease state like that, or it's not even a disease, it's a genetic imbalance, if you will, You've got to be working with someone and be aware of the pros and cons and imagine yourself feeling your way through the dark in a dark room where you don't exactly know where all the furniture is. So can I ask a question about that? You said that like with peptide, you're very careful. It's not something that you're just diving in just to do it. But bioregulators, you're taking, sounds like a whole bunch of them. How do people know if they're taking a peptide versus a bioregulator? Like which, how do you know? They're labeled as such. Like you'll know, like, you know, the bioregulator. So, you know, one of the, 
you know, on one of the websites where I buy a lot of my stuff, the bioregulators go by their Russian name. So you have Vesugin, you have Cartilax. Cartilax is, oh, that's another one for EDS. It's a cartilage bioregulator. It upregulates the production of collagen and elastin, right? So is that, can you take that orally or does that have to be injected? You can take it orally. Where do we get all this? Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Where do I get it? Where do I get it? Where do I find the things? (laughs) Yeah. So the oral bioregulators, where I get them, I get them from the UK. So I get them from Profound Health. So the website is profound-health.com. If you go to my website or some of the podcasts I've done with them, there's a discount code there that you can use for your first order. It'll save you some money. They are an investment. Like So the oral bioregulators, are they're not cheap. And you don't just, you don't take it for 30 days and then you're done. Yeah. Right. You can like with a pitil on, if you're doing like, if you're kind of reasonably, if you're healthy and you're reasonably young, like in your forties, let's say you might do a 30 day course of the pitil on a couple of times a year, just as like a little tune up. But if you've got something real going on, like a pitil on also can be really helpful for people with sleep issues, with circadian dysregulation. So we're going to go back and we're going to say, Make sure that you're getting up, you're seeing the light in the morning, you're watching the sunset, you're doing all your sleep hygiene stuff. Your, your stress, you're not all the things. But a pitalon can be incredibly powerful for resetting that circadian rhythm. But it might so, take a few months, right? So, so even might- those bioregulators, you're going to want to be working with somebody to make sure you've got your protocol dialed in. Yeah. And I mean, the protocols, I would say, you know, I've got a few episodes of the podcast where we just talk about the bioregulators if people are interested. <laughs> Janice, like, oh, yes, I'm going in. I mean, want the full I know course. what I'm listening to today and the next few months. Like, I, yeah, when you have the course ready, we're going to be like your students, pen and okay, paper in hand, eager. <laughs> Um, so with the bioregulators, you know, the cool thing about the bioregulators, which I think is a bit different from the peptides only because, and I look, I'll tell you with BPC-157 and thymosin beta-4, they are angiogenic, right? So they will increase the blood supply to certain areas. And so the concern for a lot of people there is, well, what if I have cancer? Is the tumor going to use it for its to date, nobody's ever seen or documented a case of a cancer growing from it. Having said that, if you had an active cancer, it might not be your best course of action, right? So that's what I mean by that. On the bioregulator front, I can tell you that people have been megadosing unknowingly the synthetic bioregulators for years because somebody at some point somewhere said that it was five to 10 milligrams a day for 20 days or until 100 milligrams, whichever comes first. And actually all you need of the synthetic bioregulator is 100 micrograms, so they were taking, wow. like, I mean, 10 times, like a hundred times, like a hundred times the dose, if not more, but without, as far as we know, you kind of can't overdose these things. And part of the reason is because probably there's only so many places for them to connect. Yeah. And so it's just wasteful. Right. More than it anything, just right? bounces off and then you like yeah. poop it out or pee it out. Well, a regulator be- would be different from a hormetic, right? Like a resveratrol or something that it has yeah. like action different, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the hormetic because the resveratrol is a hormetic stressor. Right. Right. So your hormetic stressors are in, a, in essence, it's that whole what doesn't kill you makes you stronger philosophy. And this Whereas, is different. This is completely different because what this is doing is it's kind of like helping the body to re-regulate and rejuvenate. Right. So when I run my biological age and I'll be running it again, probably in the next few months, 
it'll be interesting to see how much progress I've made. Like when I started, I'd already done a bunch of Epidolon and I'm already a fair bit younger biologically than I am chronologically. So, you know, I'm just, I mean, now having said that, I've been super busy and maybe sitting in my chair too long. So I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> is my biological age going to get worse? Um, <laughs> That's so cool. You're monitoring that. Yeah. And how do you monitor your biological age? Is that a lab test that you do that you run? Yeah. So you can, the company that I've worked, so there's, so the cool thing, I mean, there's so many cool things. You have to stop saying the cool thing because there's so many of them, but, (laughs) but the interesting thing is that all of this testing is now becoming available to the consumer, right? It's five, 10 years ago, it would have been thousands upon thousands of dollars to, for somebody to tell you your telomeres are, your telomere length is compatible to a person of X age versus your age or your DNA methylation status corresponds to that of someone who's eight years older, 13 years younger than you are. And we know that how much older or younger you are has an impact on what we call all-cause mortality. You're more likely to die than if you're seven years older than yourself, than if you were seven years younger than yourself being your chronological age. But so there are companies out there now that it's they're at home tests. They're usually that some of them are saliva based. A lot of them are blood based. At most it's blood in a little pipette, like tiny little drops of blood, or it's a blood spot. But so you've got companies like True Diagnostic that is looking at the DNA methylation. They're looking at telomeres. They're looking at your pace of aging. For example, I I think my number was I'm aging 0.75 years for every year that I live. So I'm aging more slowly than the clock, right? Than the calendar would say, where the Dunedin pace is really powerful metric to establish your rate of aging. Then there's another test called glycanage and glycanage measures a whole other thing. They measure the glycans on your, which are carbs kind of like sugar molecules, but very specific on your cells. The cool thing about glycanage is you can move that through diet and lifestyle within about three months. Would you say that, is that different from hemoglobin A1C or same thing? Completely different. So glycans are this whole other category of like nobody. And it's amazing because there's reams of research on glycans, mostly coming out of this company in Croatia, but like the scientist behind is like, this is his whole life's body of work. It's very well established. It's really well documented. And it almost looks at your, it looks at like your immune age and the inflammation in your body. Interesting. And I'm probably butchering the description, but that's roughly what it is. <laughs> this is all just so fascinating. Natalie, my mind's just blown. It's completely blown. And I want to become an expert in this teach me your ways, like resources. We're going to your Facebook page. We're signing up for your email. Like we're going to listen to your podcast. Where else can we find resources? Like I'm going to start like buying books on this stuff and like yeah. watching videos and trying to follow influencers that are talking about this. Can you help give us some direction other than trying to just follow you around? Yeah, no, for sure. Like, My like, goal is not for to just have a whole bunch of people following. I mean, you know, yes, <laughs> we, no. we will if you if you share the resources, we will. I will. No, yeah. and I will, and I will absolutely. You know, this course has been like this thing on my shoulder for the last year that I just have to push it out there because you know I keep I keep doing these interviews or I I get invited to speak somewhere and and I I just think it's so important for people to know that this is out there right however they choose to leverage it even if and in the group like it's so crazy that I get people saying to me yeah my doctor gave me this peptide but he can't explain it to me or he won't or he I don't know what my dose is or I don't know why I'm taking it and I'm like guys, we got to be educated, right? And we want to empower our doctors. We want to walk with them 
But in order to walk with them, we need to be educated and we need to have grounding in this stuff. So, you know, what stopped me about making the course for the longest time, to be perfectly honest, is I'm like, well, I'm not a doctor. Like, I'm not, who am I to be teaching people about peptides? But I, the place I've come to now is like, you know, as a citizen scientist, I feel like it's important for, to share as much of the information that I've gathered over the last few years so that other people can start their journey. And it's not going to be the final tome of information, but it's going to be one of the steps in their journey of learning about this stuff. There's one book by a doctor by the name of William Seeds called Peptide Protocols, Volume 1, which is almost, which is a great kind of primer written by a medical doctor. He gives, I think I started talking earlier about dosages where it's very, it's a very crazy game, this game of dosages. They, like It's kind of all over the place, but he kind of gives like starting doses and a fairly conservative view, which I think is entirely appropriate in that context, right? Where you're not, you don't have the person sitting in front of you. There's another book, which actually is really, it's great. It's less medical, if you will, than Dr. Seed's book, but it's great stories. And it's called Peptides, the Fountain of Youth by another doctor by the name of Dr. Edwin Lee. And we have, there's also organizations like A4M does a big peptide certification course. That's kind of a two-parter if you want to kind of invest in that. There's the International Peptide Society, which is run by Dr. Kent Holtorf and his partner, James Lavalle, and they do some education there as well. Kent Holtorf is an interesting guy because he's bringing a lot of peptides to market orally. And he just came out with a new one called Thymogen Alpha One. So kind of sounds like thymosin, only it's not. And what it turns out it is, is two of the bioregulate, two of the immune bioregulators in the capsule. Okay, cool. So we have Kent Holtorf. Um, so we have IPS, we have the Clinical Peptide Society, which I think is Edwin Lee's organization. There's A4M, IPS. I might be forgetting one. There's a couple more coming down the pipes. There's an increasing number of people coming on board and sharing this stuff. Those are all medical doctors, Mm -hmm. right? So they're creating these. And I think what's really interesting is like Edwin, Dr. Lee in May hosted a mastermind and it was him and his partner, Dr. Rodriguez with 10 practitioners sitting around a table for three days I mean, yeah, he and Rodriguez were teaching, but it was also, it was a massive exchange of information because we're still so much in that learning phase where it's so important for people to say, okay, well, I had a patient with this. This is what I saw. What did you see? And the other guy's like, oh, I had that. Turned out a KPV was the key to reducing her inflammation or whatever the case may be. So what's interesting is like people are doing that online right now. Like people, I keep going back to like this long COVID stuff Yeah, and these bizarre, but people are collecting data with each other because they go to their doctors and do all this testing. The doctor's like, go on an antidepressant, go on an anti-anxiety. There's yeah. nothing wrong with you. And it's like, there is something wrong. It's just not in your textbook. Right. And so people, it's so great to hear that doctors are those that are thinking outside of the box. The good ones are. Yes. It's like they're trying to figure this out for people and people are trying to figure it out for themselves, you know? And so that's why you do have to kind of become the expert. And Natalie, I love that you're not a doctor, but you're such a great resource for this because you're such a good mirror for people to realize what did you say? A citizen scientist. Yeah. I love that. Citizen scientists. We are. We absolutely are. That's all of us. So like, don't make yourself small, you guys, like get out there and start researching and start learning and start becoming your own self-advocate in your healing, right? The CEO of your body and your healing process. I love how you said that. 
No, I love that. And then one other for, you know, I still have room for five people at my retreat. I have a retreat coming up in November and we'll be weaving peptide information through that whole curriculum, if you will. Where's the retreat? What does it go over? I might be signing up. So I just kind of want to like, <laughs> I'd love all- to have you. It's called the Women's Longevity and Resilience Retreat. I'm co-hosting it with Dasha Maximov, who is my partner and who's brilliant in all things brain health. And the idea, we did our first one in March. And the idea is that before people come down, we send them their biological age test kit. We send them their genetic test kit. We run all these tests. We give them a bio strap. They start monitoring their metrics. They come down. And then we do talks on personalized nutrition, supplementation. Like we take all their information, personalize it for them. And then we do sessions on beauty, on stress management. We've got a lot of the biohacking tools that we've amassed down there so people can kind of get their hands on them. But we are also right on the ocean. So we're doing sunrise walks on the beach and yoga and waterfall hikes and talking about peptides. (laughs) So it's November 9th to 13th. If anybody wants more information on it, they can go to my website. There's a tab that says retreats. And actually Dasha and I just put out a podcast on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, kind of about the retreat, a little bit about the last one, a little bit about some of the stuff we're going to be doing on the next one and that kind of stuff. I asked like, what were some of the results and outcomes that people got from these retreats? It's so interesting. Like the last, the first one was in March that we just did. And we had this incredible group of women come together. And I, I don't want to take up too much time and describe each one, but we had people from functional medicine doctor. We had a housewife from Houston who's really into interior design. We have all these and everything in between, right? Women who identify as biohackers, women who like knew nothing about biohacking and just kind of got on a call for with us. It's not that they knew nothing. It's like they have no community, right? They're interested in this stuff, but all of their friends think that they're absolutely nuts. And I will say that one of the biggest outcomes that came out of it, other than each one of them walking away with much greater clarity about themselves in terms of food and supplementation and where they are and what, you know, their path, if either what their health journey could look like for the next while, it was that sense of community that they got. It was connecting with other women. And even in this one, the women who've signed up already, a number of them are about, I just want to meet other women like me. Right. So cool. I I want to meet women who I can talk to about these things because I mean, three quarters of my friends, none of my friends are coming on the retreat. They all think I'm completely nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you, Natalie, so much. Again, your Facebook is optimizing superhuman performance with peptides, nutrition, and more. Your website is natalienidham.com. Is that correct? Or just natnidham.com because my first name has an H in it. We just shortened it because people didn't know where to put the H and it popped up in all these different places. (laughs) That's so funny. Okay. So natnidham.com. This has been phenomenal. I'm really excited. I'm actually going to probably re-listen to this episode multiple times and take notes and start researching. Gina, is there anything you want to say before we log off? No, this is amazing. Thank you for all sharing all your expertise. I know this is, it's so fun because I think this is an episode that really stretches for our listeners or they're like, yes, we got to learn alongside you guys today. This is awesome. Well, I want to thank you both for having me. This has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you inviting me to the podcast. I loved meeting you both and I want to learn more about what you do. So (laughs) I'll be your shadows in another direction as well. 
Absolutely. We'd love that. Listeners, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all your messages too, your DMs and your outpour of love. Like you guys are just so rad. So we'll catch you next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 